and get to know Christ as a result of Paul's worship to God as an act of service. Not necessarily singing songs, although Paul did that. It was an act of service to God with his lifestyle. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. See, worship is the lifestyle that the believer chooses to worship God with. It, it's a choice that we make. We don't, we don't just exist and, and uh, just come to church and, and that's it. No, we choose as a believer to live as a follower of God. That's part of our relationship with God. That, that, it's, it's just a part of who we are and who we become. That's why it's called a life of transformation. In the book of Malachi, if you want to turn there, Malachi chapter 1, I read a couple of verses from here last week. And so I'm just going to... Uh, kind of reiterate what we talked about last week and recap a little bit. But in Malachi chapter 1, it says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And in verse 2 it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. So it's like a past tense but present tense. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? I have loved you, says the Lord. And then the people responded by saying, in what way? Like, how, how have you loved us? It, it can almost be likened to a teenager who says, you never do anything for me. As an act of, how come you don't let me do anything? I don't do anything. You, you don't give anything to me. And you're like, wait, are you kidding me? Didn't I just feed you? Didn't I just wash your clothes? Are you not living here? Are you not alive right now? It's like, that's what God is comparing it to, that we're saying to him, when he says, I have loved you, that we say, in what way? In what way have you loved us? Now, this is before Christ went to the cross, so even that much more, we should be saying, thank you, instead of, what way have you loved us? Because we have the cross of Christ and what he has done for us. He, he, he modeled for us what love looks like. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, he continues. And he says, As a son, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you, priests who despise my name, Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And then he comes with the answer. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? Well, here it is. By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible, or we can dishonor it. We can disgrace it. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? See, and when they would sacrifice animals, they would, they would have to find the lambs with no spot, no blemish, no flaws, and bring that perfect sacrifice to God. But they would bring their sickly ones. They're like, oh, this one's going to die anyway. We might as well offer it to God. It's, it's, it's dying. So what they were doing was they were bringing their leftovers to God. And then God says, hang, hang on. Offer that to your governor. Offer that. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by our own hands. Will he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. And in verse 12, 
He says, but you profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. And my name is to be feared among the nations. You know, God was saying, he's saying, why are you bringing me your leftovers? Why, why are you, I mean, do I really deserve your leftovers? If you fully understand the concept of your worship to me, you wouldn't be bringing me your leftovers. You would be bringing me your very best. You give me all these titles as father, as master, but you don't even honor me in that kind of way. You don't even obey me. You call me father, but there's no honor. You call me master, but there's no obedience. It's like us, you know, here in Hawaii, we call uh, adults, like when we're growing up, those who are older than us, we, no matter if they're related or not, if it was a man, we called them uncle. If it was a woman, we called them auntie. Yeah, but you come to an age where when someone calls you uncle, you're like, hey, I'm not uncle status yet, so ease up. Or they're like, you're like four years older than them, and they call you uncle. You're like, hey, I cannot be your uncle. But it's a sign of respect, isn't it? It's saying uncle. Or sometimes they'll say sir or ma'am. And I know some of you are like, hey, not ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. But it's, it's a sign of respect for some people. And, and every culture has their different, uh, you know, their ups and downs, their goods and not goods. But here in Hawaii, it's a sign of respect to say auntie or uncle. It's just a sign of respect. In some other uh, cultures, they use other titles. Uh, in India, they use uh, the, the term G attached to uh, what means Papa, Papa G, or uh, when they call the grandmother, they add a G at the end as a sign of respect. So God is saying, hang on, you're, you're calling me Father, but where's the honor? You call me Master, where's the obedience? Or in other words, he would say, you call me God, but where's the holiness? That we, we can say the titles to God, but he's saying it's the ingredients to your worship to me has more to do with who I am than the titles you give to me. But it's the respect that you bring to me that is an act of worship, not just the titles that you may say. Because we can say the right things, but then miss the key ingredients for our worship to him. See, God is making the point of when worship has lost its worth. And when we see worship as less than, when that which is specifically said that this is worthy as our worship to God, that we treat it as worthless. He's saying, how can you treat that which is defined as holy, that which is worship, and you treat it as unworthy, that it's worthless. Some of us will, uh, you know, first thing in the morning, we'll pray. Some of us pray because we're in panic, we're like, oh, Lord, help me for today. Some of us pray for the actual prayer of, Lord, thank you for the day, and thank you for these things, and you set up your day that way, or you get on your knees before God. Some of you, before you go to bed, you say a prayer. It's, that's an act of worship. It's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. In fact, we'll get on our knees because it's a, 
it, it's, a, it's an outward act of what's happening on the inside. We're bowing down to God. And we're saying, you're worthy of our very best physically. So I'm going to bow down before you. I'm going to prostrate myself before you because you're worthy of my very best. I'm going to give my very best to you. That's what that word worship actually means. The, our Bible has been translated in the New Testament from the Greek language. So the Greek word for worship that they use is a word that means to prostrate yourself. That you fall face down before the Lord. That's the word they use for worship. It's the same word. When we can bow down before God, and, and even when you're driving, you know, you're not bowing down. It's an act of humility in your heart. That there's an act of worship there. That you're saying, no, I'm, I'm worshiping you with my heart, with my body, with everything that I have. That we give attention to him. We don't give more attention to other things. We're saying, Lord, I want to give you my undivided attention. And now here's the struggle, and, and this is a big-time struggle. We get distracted so quickly, so quick, because we have things that distract us. We have, we have these things that can distract us. We have TV at home. We have the Internet. We have, and, and we have all the information we need at any time we want. And we get distracted quickly. We get distracted when we're at home sometimes. If we're supposed to be doing something, we get distracted. Or maybe you're supposed to be studying for an exam and your friends want to go out. And, ah, oh, distraction. They're like, ah, you can cram it in. You can do it last minute. It's only going to take you four hours to finalize that. And so we get distracted. It's like the Lord is saying, yeah, you're going to get distracted in the world. Just don't let, that, don't let the world distract you from who I am. Because when worship becomes worthless to us, as a lifestyle, not as singing songs, but when it becomes worthless, then we'll come to the same place as the book of Malachi is saying, that we'll say, it's now weary on my life. Or we'll, we'll even say it in this way, it's just too hard. Living for God is too hard. It's tired. And so what we'll do is we'll say, you know what, let me just, I'll just cheat a little bit. I just want to try this just for this one time and then God will forgive me. And then we feel like we're okay because God forgives but really, it's lessening the value of our worship to him. It's like cutting short the potential that God sees in us. And God is saying, what are you doing? I, I have potential in you, so give me your very best in your time, your affections, your finances, your heart, not your leftovers. Because when you give me your leftovers, what can I do with your leftovers? It's not holy and acceptable unto me. I'm a perfect God. Therefore, if you give me your leftovers, you're lessening the value of your worship to me. And I don't think we want to do that. I don't think any of us want to lessen our value of worship to God. I think we want to worship him with the highest value. That's why we're here tonight. Because we're saying to the Lord, I want to give you my very best and I'm going to do my very best to worship you. Here, I'm going to give you four key ingredients that we're going to kind of finalize tonight. And, and then the four areas, and we talked about it last week, is emotion. You cannot worship God without emotion. You just cannot worship God without emotion. There's no way possible you, you can worship God without reverence, that respect for him. You got to have emotion, but you got to also have reverence for God. And then sacrifice. There is sacrifice when it comes to worshiping God. That's what was happening in the Old Testament. All the animals that they would sacrifice, that was their worship to God. Our emotion, our reverence and sacrifice. And then finally, purity of heart. To worship God without a pure heart, not possible. We've got to worship Him with a pure heart. 
And, and, and these four areas, your emotion, your reverence, your sacrifice, your purity of heart, brings together all of who we are to God. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It brings it all together to worship God. In verse 8, when God says, these, these things that I'm asking of you, you bring these sacrifices to me, and, and the blemished lamb, you're bringing the, the blind, the sick, the lame. What we're actually saying is, Lord, these are valueless sacrifices that we're giving to you. They hold no value, but we're going to give it to you anyway. And any valueless sacrifice brought to God is actually no sacrifice at all because there's no value in it. A sacrifice must have value in it. Just read the greats of the Bible, like Abraham or even King David, when they wanted to purchase land or, or do something great for God, and people would say, no, I'll just give it to you. They said, no, it must cost me something because that was their worship. Their worship was their sacrifice. It needed to cost them something. There needed to be, to be some kind of sacrifice. That's why Jesus was called the sacrificial lamb. He gave his entire life as an act of worship. The perfect sacrifice. Now listen very carefully. This is the only way we can worship God. Is through Christ. Because he is the perfect sacrifice. See, although we're talking about these key ingredients, we're never going to have a perfect life, a perfect worship to give to God. But what we do is, through what Jesus has done, he becomes the perfect sacrifice for our worship unto God. And so that's why we can come to him just as we are. Yep, with all of our blemishes. What he does is he makes us righteous in the sight of God. And so instead of us saying, well, I can't can't even worship God then. I have blemishes. I, I have some flaws. I can't get my act together. Jesus says, I'll be the perfect sacrifice for your worship to him. I'll be your mediator. So that as you worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll be declared righteous in the sight of God. If we don't know how to worship God in spirit and in truth, even God will disappoint us. We'll feel that because we're not worshiping in spirit and in truth and we're looking at the wrong thing to satisfy our hearts. We'll end up using God and resist coming to him on his terms. I mean, how often have I prayed and said, Lord, if, if this happens, then good. If, if you can just do this, then that would be great. And then God says, no, I'm going to do it some other way. Well, his terms are the best terms. It's the best way. And that's our worship to him. It's saying, Lord, regardless of the outcome, I will still worship you. Whatever it looks like, I will still worship you because I know that you want the best for me and you know exactly what needs to take place in my life. But verse 13 says, nope, you sneered at it and it has has become wearisome to you. I pray that we don't become people who say that worship is wearisome or the life with Christ is is boring or I, I don't like doing this anymore. It's so difficult. I hope we would be people who say, Lord, as difficult as it is, You never bailed on me, not once. So there's no way I'm going to bail on you, that you will always hold me up. You will always keep me in your hands, and you always protect me. You always walk me through anything that I go through, as difficult as it is, and that's my worship to you. See, I think we have, we also have a lot of information that comes our way. We we have uh, the the way we think. We have uh, people who say great things and smart things, Philosophy comes our way. Education comes our way. We, we, have, we have great books written in our world, literature that can come at us. And as we read it, we're like, oh, this is so good. 
But then when it comes to worshiping God, if there's contradiction, then do we sway more toward that way or do we say, Lord, what is your truth? Am I going to worship you in spirit and in truth? And is that going to be my life to you? Because one of the greatest pursuits of philosophy, education, and even literature is to find unity in diversity. Even cultures. Isn't it true that almost every culture wants to unify diversity? That with all the differences, how can, we, how, can be, how can we be unified as a people? That's pretty much every culture's goal. That's the goal of every country. How can we live in unity with being diverse? How can we have a unified family with being diverse? Our forefathers for our country, our nation, came with that mentality. How can we have unity with diversity? How can we be from these different nations to come together in this one nation and be diverse but in unity? A pluribus unum. It's on every single coin. It's on our money. Out of many, one. How does that happen? How do you, how do you because we're, we're diverse here tonight, and diversity does not just mean race or color or creed or uh, where we're from or our upbringing, social status, bank account. It's not about that. What God wants to do is bring us together in a unified fashion, not so that we all necessarily agree with each other. Well, that would be great too, but what would we agree on? See, when it comes to our family, our community, even our workplace, we're going to be in places of diversity. But there's one thing that brings us all together, and it's the word worship. Now think about this. Worldwide, worldwide, as diverse as our planet is, various languages. When we worship God together, we all have that in common. We're unified that way. We're unified as our sacrifice to him. We're unified emotionally because we're worshiping God together around the world. We're bringing a pure heart to him and saying, we want to worship you. Unified under worship to you. This is our sacrifice to you. That we want to be people who are respectful to you so we come with reverence. And if I were to look at the, the, the greatest pursuits of this unity in whatever fashion it would be, we all want that in our families. I mean, we don't want to come home to a house that's broken. I mean, we don't want to come home where everyone's yelling or, you know, someone didn't do the dishes, so it was not my turn tonight. It was his turn. It was her turn. Uh, who didn't feed the dog? The dog didn't eat for four days. Oh, no, it was my turn. It was your turn. And everyone's grumbling and fighting because of certain things. We just want unity. We want peace and quiet. So if, if we were to look at where we are, it's our family. I'll just put family, work, work. We spell work, W-O-R. I was going to put a K. That's walk. Okay, so work and then community. If we were to look at these three areas, how diverse is that? I mean, our family already has diversity. I have two boys. One is 20, going to be 28. One is going to be 22. They're different in their personalities. Now, some of you have four children, maybe three, and they all have different personalities. Some might be similar. But there's diversity even in our family. 
And sometimes we don't get along with certain people in the family or even extended family or if we're living with our parents or aunties or uncles. There's diversity. Or if you're living with friends and, and you have diversity, you're going to have turmoil. It's just going to happen. It's a result of being diverse. So in our families, what brings us closer to each other is this thing called worship. That's why Jesus says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Because that's what brings everybody together. It's this thing called worship. At work, worship. Community, worship. All up until God. Now, here's the problem, though. Not everybody in your home worships God. Not everyone at your workplace worships God. Not everyone in the community worships God. If everyone worshiped God, it would be called heaven. But we look forward to that one day. Up until then, family, work, community, we just do our very best in these three areas to worship God. Emotionally, sacrificially, with reverence. That as we're worshiping Him, we're saying, I'm just going to do my very best to bring a pure heart to you, to worship you, because that's what brings everything together. Our, our, our unity in diversity makes up a, a powerful act of worship to God, even in this room. That's why it's, it's one of the most difficult things that non-believers have is not with Christ, it's with believers. Because they'll say, wait a minute, don't they go to your church too and they go to your church, but why are they fighting? How can that believer and that believer be fighting? Well, here's the, here's the answer. Because we're not worshiping God. We worship self more than God. No, oh, no, they got to apologize. No, their fault. And it could be true. It might be their fault. It could be. But are we going to worship God or are we going to turn the arrows and worship self? There's only one thing that brings unity. It's worshiping God. That's what the philosophers wanted to do, the educators. They wanted to bring unity out of diversity, which is a university. They wanted to bring unity out of diversity. It's not a new concept. It's God's concept. And when he brings us together as family, as, as, as husband and wife, whenever, whenever there's conflict, it's a result of not worshiping God. And it's, again, it's not about singing songs. It's a part of it, but it's our everyday lifestyle. It's our worship unto God, those four different areas. See, worship takes us to a different level of living. It's, it's, it's a different kind of living because you're not living for self anymore. You're living for God who requires us to worship, must worship in spirit and in truth. Imagine if we all worshiped in spirit and in truth. Because if we're trying to worship out of feeling only, or if, if it's the right time or, or it, when everything's going well, then we're not really worshiping him in spirit and in truth. We're just waiting for the right moment where we feel good. And I think for us tonight, to know these key ingredients is going to be super good for us as we apply that. Just those four areas. And it kind of have the unbalance of it because all four are going to be needed. And when worship is included in it, it balances out our emotions, our sacrifice. It balances out our respect for God. 
It helps us with purity in heart because we're worshiping him. And when we come to the understanding of worship, we're still going to have within us the spirit of pride or jealousy or envy, backbiting, gossip. We're still going to have that unforgiveness or betrayal, lust. But there's one thing that gives us the strength to honor our vows as a married couple. And it's our worship to God. There's only one thing that gives us the strength not to be greedy for the lusts of the world. And that's our worship to God. There's only one thing that gives us the strength to put pride on the side for even a moment of taking God's deserved glory. And that's our worship to Him. See, it's, it's, it's when worship has anchored our very existence to the Almighty God. When, when worship has anchored us, then we have the strength to overcome whatever obstacle is trying to take us down. And whatever is going to come our way, when our worship is being given to God in a daily act of service to Him, then it becomes more of a lifestyle than something we do. It's something we actually are. And tonight, as we close, I, I want us to do something, and, it's, and it's, it includes a song. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. It includes a song. But what we're going to do tonight as we sing this song what we're choosing to do is saying to the Lord, I'm going to begin to understand the power of worship. Not just about singing songs. I want to I be a person who lives the lifestyle of worship. And that lifestyle is really saying to the Lord, you deserve our very best. And I'm going to give you my very best. I, I, would, I would hope that for us tonight that worship has not lost its worth. That God is who he is. And he is worthy of praise, glory, and honor. And we would come to him in spirit and in truth. And come to him with pure hearts, with reverence, with a sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as we pray. And for us tonight, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. If there is anything in your heart that is kind of, I I wouldn't say holding you back, but anything in your heart that is hindering you from living a lifestyle of worship to God, then lay it down. You can even come to the front and, and as it were, lay down your sacrifice at the altar and go back to your seat. And it's a simple act of saying, Lord, I'm going to lay this down at your feet. I'm going to pray with us and then we can just be led by the Lord tonight and then we'll conclude thereafter. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that as we learn about worship, what that looks like, that we would be people who not just sing songs to you, but we worship you in spirit and in truth. And right now, Lord, we ask for our our hearts to be cleansed by you, that our hearts would be purified, sanctified or set apart for you, that you would be glorified in all that we say and do from this point on. Will we make some mistakes, Lord? Yes, we will. Will we have some speed bumps along the way? Yes, we will. But along with that, Lord, we're going to continue to learn the power of worship. That it is about your presence. That although we step into your presence, you're always there, you're always available. You never leave us. You don't forsake us. You don't leave us abandoned. So our worship to you really is is well-deserved. That's what worship means. It means worthy. 
You're worthy. It's our worship to you. And so tonight, Lord, as we, as we kind of examine our hearts and, and sit before you, whatever our lives look like from this point on, can you just give us reminders that worship is not just singing songs. It's when we're speaking to each other. It's when we get up in the morning, how we treat one another, one another how we react when things don't go our way, how we respond when our prayers aren't answered the way we would want it to be answered. That worship is everything we do in this world. We must worship you in spirit and in truth. And without that, we, we're not able to worship you. So teach us how. We just want to present ourselves to you holy and acceptable. Because it is in your presence that will make all the difference. So Lord, tonight, our heart is simple. That as we sing to you, we would understand how good you are. Would you stand with me tonight as we as we sing unto him? And if you need to, you can come forward and pray and lay it at his feet. Let's sing to him.